Hello, and welcome to the Poetic Devices Podcast. I am your host, Kay Crow, the bird bard and the traveling typist. Each episode will discuss the stories, philosophies, and realities of my life as an on-demand typewriter poet. Whether in a five-star hotel or hitting the streets, my typewriter and I travel to bring poetry to the people. So tune in for Poetry in Motion. Today we have a very special episode on the topic of radical vulnerability and poetic witnessing. This episode is going to get into some heavy territory and contains content discussing adoption, the death of a child, infertility, suicide, and drug use. Thank you for choosing to join me today in this very vulnerable and very special episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Poetic Devices podcast. Today's topic is radical vulnerability and poetic witnessing. In short, we are going to be talking about the deeply human connection that people honor me with when they encounter me and my typewriter in the wild. And this is a very special episode in honor of National Poetry Month. Each section of this podcast will be interspersed with some of my favorite poems that I've written both for myself and for people on the street. Several years ago, a friend of mine asked me a question, and that question was, what is the point of poetry? And that question really got me thinking. And for me, the point of poetry is connection. And in that vein, let me tell you a story. The root of my career as a theatrical poet creating these immersive experiences was at a little show called The Poetry Brothel. They have chapters and casts all over the world, but I got to be part of a very short, very magical season when the Chicago chapter was alive and kicking. The Poetry Brothel is an immersive literary cabaret. All of the patrons, aka Johns, as we lovingly refer to them, are invited into the event space. There is a floor show going on on the stage with burlesque, live music, etc., etc. And then, and then, there are the poetry whores who are circulating through the audience. The goal of the whores is to lure the Johns upstairs for private poetry readings in exchange for their money. And I had the joy of playing a poetry whore named Katerina Crow. I made my way that night through my sea of ever tipsier patrons. As this burlesque show was happening on the stage and people were getting ever more undressed until I found myself a likely candidate. And after some schmoozing, I lured her upstairs and I read her a poem. Specifically, I read her this poem called Mother, Listen. Mother, listen. I'm sorry that when you tried, it died inside your womb. I'm sorry that the fruit of your loins withered on the vine because you deserve orchards. Mother, 
Listen, I could not have foreseen that when you picked me from the roiling sea of unwanted children that I would feel such guilt for all of those left behind. Mother, listen, 31 years ago, two mothers looked in each other's eyes and saw I, me, and one gave to the other the gift of life. Mother, listen, when two bodies collide and the spirit abides and something grows inside, it is a miracle, but it is also an accident. We were stronger than fate and providence. You, a mother looking for her child, me brought into this world, not quite on purpose. We were bound together by the chains of choice. Fate couldn't hide us from each other, mother, listen. I remember how you held me every time I cried, how you still loved me even when I lied, how you persisted even when I tried to climb the refrigerator. I will hold tightly to all you taught me. I will do the dishes. I will always water the flowers. I will love ferociously, and I will always keep my promises. This I promise, Mother. Listen. And after I finished reading her that poem, she started crying. She told me her brother was adopted and that that poem hit really close to home. We, she talked a little bit about the connection between her mother, her brother, and herself. And she asked me for a hug. After I read her that poem, I read her one about my own brother. And that was the first time that it really hit me how intimate poetic moments can truly touch people's hearts and make us feel connected to each other. And in all honesty, that is where my professional poetic journey began. So let's get into it. Part one, the responsibilities of being a typewriter poet. Now, some people sidestep this issue entirely because they only want to write lighthearted poems, and they don't want a play therapist, which I totally understand. Signing up to do intense emotional labor for strangers isn't everybody's idea of a good time. But for me personally, it is one of my favorite parts of the job. The responsibilities of being a typewriter poet are different from being any other kind of artist. Because the duty of any other artist is to steward self-expression. But with my art, when the other person is sharing their sacred vulnerability with me, it is not my art that matters. It is not my art that's in the spotlight. Their vulnerability, their rage, their sadness, their grief, is what needs to get centered in that space. And my art then just becomes a mirror to help them make sense of the story of this messy human thing called life. A lot of art these days is incredibly self-indulgent. Don't get me wrong, not all of it. I have seen a lot of amazing art these days that interrogates the depth and breadth of the human experience. But I'm not talking about that art. I'm talking about art that is navel-gazing and masturbatory and is so opaque as to be utterly meaningless. You know, like a, the blank canvas with a single dot on it that a New York billionaire bought to cover up the fact that he was moving $2 million in drug money. Yeah, that kind of art. That kind of art is on the other extreme end of the spectrum. 
It is so self-centered that it exacerbates the incredible disconnection between artist and audience. It purports to invite people in, but really just leaves them standing outside at the door, confused. Typewriter poetry, when done well, and I'm not saying I always do it well, we all have our bad days, but when done well, it is so radical because it turns all of this on its head. It is the exact inverse of what I just described. The patron isn't just the viewer, they are the muse. They become an intimate and seminal part of the artistic process. And people honor that intimacy with vulnerability. So, once I'm in that space, what is my job? My job can be described by this story. The other day at the Wonder Museum, I was doing on-demand typewriter poetry and a woman approached me. She was wearing a shirt that said, my son died, that's why I'm like this. I gave her my typical spiel. If you give me a word or a topic, I will write you a poem. It can be about literally anything. I wrote one about corn dogs earlier. And she told me that that felt like being punched in the gut because corn dogs were what she craved when she was pregnant, and she had not had a corn dog in 10 years prior to that, when she was pregnant with her son, who was named Samson, who was born and died in September of 2022. So she wanted a poem about Samson, named after the story from the Bible. In the Bible, Samson was attacked by a lion, and God gave him the power to kill it with his bare hand in a single blow, and later he found that bees had made a honeycomb in the corpse. And so I wrote her a poem titled, after the biblical verse, Out of the Strong, Something Sweet. And in part, it read, How does one move through the world that can seem so godless? What do we do with this leonine corpse? Take a lesson from the bees and make honey. Lesson by lesson and bone by bone. And she thanked me and she gave me a tip and then she walked away. And sometimes that's my job, to be a mirror for the things other people don't want to hear. And in that vein, part two, what a typewriter poet does in that space. Now there are three aspects to what I do. The first is deep listening. And this is a concept that I really, really dig. It's basically turning your whole body into an ear. And let me explain how you do that. Oftentimes when we are in a conversation, we're not listening to listen. We are listening to respond. Every time someone is talking, we're making a bookmark in our head and holding it in our head because we have a point we want to make based off of what they said. We have things we think they need or want to hear or would be entertained by. The thing is, when you listen like that, you're not really listening. The RAM in your brain is like RAM on a computer. You only get so much short-term processing power to attend to any given moment. And if you're using your RAM or your working memory to hold points you want to make, then you're not really giving your whole attention to the other person, are you? You're giving them half your attention at best, and you're not really hearing what they have to say. And when you're doing on-demand typewriter poetry well, that just won't do, now will it? <laughs> So here's the trick. 
When someone comes up to you and starts talking, you're going to listen. And then you're going to have a thought based on something that they said. And you know what you're going to do with that thought? You're going to take a breath and just let it go. Whatever you wanted to say isn't important. Listening to the other person with your whole attention, with your whole body, is the most important thing you can do in that moment. Because when people feel you are holding them in your full attention, miracles happen. When they see that their words are hitting you, they're hitting you, and you are holding them, it creates this fragile, amazing bubble of a moment because no one gives each other their full attention these days. Not really, because we've forgotten how to listen with our full bodies. And if you're looking for more information about this process, I highly recommend you read Unbound by Kaija Urbaniak. So, once you've listened, then what? The second step is to speak from the heart, not the head. When it is time to respond, you're going to do it from your heart and from your guts, not your head. The key phrase here is reflect, don't project. You are a mirror, not a generator. Show them that you have heard them and respond from a place of deep listening. When you can reflect back to them the true depth and poignancy of what they've said, it will quite literally rock their world. People don't feel listened to these days. They don't feel connected. They don't feel seen. They don't feel held. And by responding from your body and not your mind, you can literally work miracles. A tip I like to give is this. Respond with your gut. And I mean literally. Respond with your gut. And no, I don't mean to fart. (laughs) I mean, feel down into your stomach, into your intestines. They've got the second most amount of neurons outside of your brain. And your stomach is responsible for for producing the vast majority of your body's serotonin and neurotransmitters. Literally, feel your energy sink down into your intestines and respond from there. There's a reason they call your guts your second brain. And if it works, what you say will feel rooted and it will feel true. And for more information on deep listening and responding from the body, you can also read Way of Counsel by Jack Zimmerman and Virginia Coyle. Now the final step, the third step, is to give them what they need. This moment isn't about you. It's about them. If they are bringing you anger about their messy divorce, don't try to defend their ex-spouse. If they are bringing you their grief, don't try and... Point out that the sun is shining today, so they really shouldn't feel so bad. If they are bringing you lost and confused, having failed out of college and not knowing what to do next, don't say that, hey, it's not the end of the world, go have an ice cream cone. Do not mitigate. For the divorce, reflect his anger. Don't diminish it. Dive into the juicy truth of rage. For the grieving, look into their hearts and hold space for their tears. These ones are likely going to cry. For the lost and confused, lean into the fact that being human is hard and none of us really knows what we're doing. And we're all just improvising and making it up as we go along. In all cases, reflect on the universality of these human emotions. 
Their stories are both uniquely theirs and part of a grand legacy of human struggles that have been overcome, and that they are by no means alone. Joseph Campbell has a storytelling structure called the monomyth, and there is a part in every story called the dark night of the soul, when all hope is lost and it seems that the hero will never rise to the challenge. But invariably, in almost every great legend, the hero does. This job, typewriter poetry, is about storytelling and helping them find their way out of their personal dark nights of the soul. So, what will you do? And what will you write to help guide them? But you know, this is just my personal philosophy. You caught me monologuing there for a minute. To me, poets are meaning makers. And that is the deepest part of my job. And for more information on meaning-making, you can read The Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell. Yes, this episode is just littered with so many reading recommendations. Can you tell that I was an English major? Yes, you can. In its most basic sense, the underlying philosophy is this. It is an honor and a heavy responsibility to hold the tender secrets of strangers. It is the domain of therapists, sex workers, and typewriter poets to do this sacred work, should we choose. We take people who have cracked themselves open on our behalf, and it is our duty to witness as they bleed the poison from their wounds. Again, if we choose to. It is not our job to fix them. The only person who can save someone is themselves but we can act as lighthouses attempting to help them find their way safely home. The truth of poetic witnessing is multi-layered and very complex, but the crux of the matter is this. People crave connection, and they will cry often when you give it to them. Often, they will remember you forever. And on that theme, here's a poem that I wrote for someone at the Logan Square Farmer's Market on the 12th of June, 2022. It's called Meet the Wound. We meet at the wound. We greet it like an old friend. It tells us what it needs. It imprints itself onto our childhood histories. Shows us the places we never quite mended so that we can hold it tender and shelter it until it finds peace. Part three, the root of disconnection and the role of a poetic witness. Why are people so disconnected? There is something about the digital age that has stolen us from each other. Thus, the typewriter becomes an almost inverse symbol, one of connection. People see me with the typewriter and they see someone who is unplugged, present, and attentive to their needs in that moment. They see someone who is anachronistic and out of time. And how rare and precious is that? What is the definition of a witness? We have a few provided by your favorite multinational billionaire search engine. <clears throat> One, to have knowledge of an event or change from personal observation or experience. Two, of a time, place, or other context be the setting in which an event or development takes place. Three, to give or serve as evidence, to testify to. Four, to look at, used to introduce a fact illustrating a preceding statement. 
or finally, of a person to openly profess one's religious faith. And personally, I feel like all of those are a little bit true. Especially, and funnily, the one that has to do with religious faith. Because doing on-demand typewriter poetry for me can be the holiest kind of work if you should choose to take on that perspective. Some people just want to write limericks about dogs, and I respect that. The thing is, you can still be an atheist and still hold it to be sacred. To witness is to be one who sees. To be a typewriter poet is to use what you see to create a mirror for others. Tell me, when was the last time you felt truly seen and totally understood? Pause this recording and actually think about it. I'll wait. Now that you're back, if you have an occasion in recent memory, you are very lucky. But for everyone else, I bet it has been a really long time, hasn't it? Poetry is one of the oldest professions. After sex work, we're sex work positive here. People have been trusting poets to articulate the human condition since the dawn of time. It makes absolute sense that they would continue to ask us to do it now. But these days, most poets are so out of reach to the general public as to be nearly useless. Which is why what I do is so subversive. But if you want that rant, go back and listen to my episode on creative bravery and poetic improvisation. Cliff's Notes version of that is to say that by making myself available, by us typewriter poets making ourselves available, we are simultaneously revolutionizing the modern concept of poetry and pressing the factory reset button on poetry. We are re-establishing the connection between people and poetic witnessing and one of the, ol one of the oldest and most sacred forms of art. To be seen is to be known. To be known is to be understood. To be understood is to be received. To be received is to be held. And to be held is to be connected. So when someone comes up to me at a wedding or on the side of the street, it really isn't that weird that they spill their guts to me. In a way, it is one of the most fundamental parts of my job. To me, at least, other typewriter poets do it differently. You have to be able and willing to hold space for people's goopy, quivering, messy bits. They may go to pieces, but we help them put themselves back together. I wrote this next poem at the Feed Your Soul fundraiser in Milwaukee to help fundraise money to reduce food insecurity for people in the Wisconsin metropolitan area. And they asked for a poem about hunger. And this is what I wrote. When the least of us hungers, the best of us cannot truly be full. Imagine a Macedonian clay pot 2,000 years old. Imagine feeling that empty, choking on the dust of a dead society's disregard. There is medicine for this, the Holy Ghost is carried by those with bread, with soup, and the knowledge that someone cared. 
And finally, we have come to part four. The role of art. Also, I am not a therapist. <sighs> the role of art is to make people feel, to lay bare, to share deep, unsettling, beautiful truths about the human experience. And the opportunity to do that with the artist present is a unique, rare, and beautiful thing especially to be invited to participate and to co-create the art together? Art comes from feeling. I have the typewriter, the instrument, the tool. The patrons bring the feeling. I bring the form. If people don't approach me, I'm just sitting with my typewriter on the side of the road or in the museum, bored out of my mind. They have to come and make the whole thing go. Their participation is necessary. The typewriter is the vehicle, but the human connection is the go juice. It's the gas in the tank. People have to choose the experience. They have to say yes. They have to opt in and choose to allow the poet to take on the role of meaning maker. Typewriter poetry is an excellent model for practicing deep and meaningful consent out in the world, out in the wild. Though that will be the topic of a future episode, perhaps the next month, who knows? I am not a therapist, nor do I purport to be one. A well-trained therapist will ask you the right questions to prompt you to look inside yourself to make sense of your history. I don't do that. I'm just a mirror and a storyteller. People show me their experience and I will articulate it and show it to you from an angle that catches the light. And now to close out, I'm going to read you two more poems that will show you my guts, my quivering messy bits so that you can feel less alone and that maybe I can feel connected to someone out there through the airwaves. This is a poem called Brother. My brother started smoking when he was nine. I had forgotten by that time what was his and what was mine. Conjoined, I controlled the left leg, he the right, until life cut us apart. I hung my heart on his branches, he hung a noose twice. I dreamed he was a king and that I was his everything. But they kicked off his crown and punched in his teeth each ivory token the price to the gateway of a different life. When faggot was the school bus mantra, when I whispered, I'm here too, but my words just got lost in the shadow of his bruise. My closet got deeper with each pill he snorted. One time I waited after school for three hours because I thought he was coming. He said he was coming. He wasn't coming. Instead, he was knocked out on some dream, sprawled out on his bed, while I waited for him to rise like the dead, to come get me. I put new coats on the hangers, the second time he tried to kill himself, new layers of flannel to hide behind within the wardrobe of my mind, and it wasn't his fault for any of it. I worshipped him like only younger siblings can, and my heart broke when I found out he was just a man. 
A man with hair so bright, people mistook it for an orange hat in the Nevada sun, scrambling over red rock canyons. You, me, in the valley of fire, Las Vegas escort cards secretly snatched, that time we broke dad's guitar and he didn't find out till six months later because he never played it. So see me in the lake bed and in the prairie gla grass we played in, and in the woods with the balance beam tree, hold me in your mind like I used to be, before I blamed you, before I turned out the lights in my heart, like a stage after the show's ended. Remember me with goose feathers and pilfered eggs, skinned knees on the floor of your altar, big brown eyes and a heart outsized. Remember me like this, sweetness, before life took us from each other, brother. Remember. And one final poem to leave you all on a bit of a happier note. This is called, I'll Come Back to You in August. Stretch out on the back of August, caught in a sunbeam, cat lazy, baskets overflowing with tomatoes and corn. Dirt ground into the skin of my gardening fingers. I sing classic rock ballads to the beans and the basil, my offering. We give to each other water for water, breath for breath, each fruiting a life and a death, reincarnating into each other, our bodies blending these green vines into my mouth, my sweat into this dirt, my bones into this earth. One of these lifetimes, I'll come back to you in August, when the year is yellow, zucchini blossoms in my hair, to give you my body and to take your breath. And if you don't need a cigarette after that, you're lying, just saying. But thanks for tuning in. This has been the National Poetry Month edition of the Poetic Devices podcast. I am your host, Kay Crow, and I am here to help you live a little more poetically. Tune in next month for whatever the heck we're talking about then. Until then, stay poetic out there.